This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Hi, this is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, your host for The Voice of Leadership and Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. And today I want to talk about the subject, When Darkness Masquerades as Light. And I want to share three ways that darkness masquerades as light. And first, before we get into that topic, it's important to understand and remind ourselves about the character of Satan. Satan is here because he has the desire to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And that's what John 10.10 tells us. And Jesus goes on to say that he has come, that we might have life, and have life more abundantly. We also have to understand that Satan is the father of lies, all deception, and he does lots of things in hiding and in a cunning way. John 8, 44 through 59 shares more about this. So we know that Satan is the enemy of God. His mission is to destroy God's people in the sense of keeping them from eternal life with God. We know that Matthew 25, 41 tells us that God has prepared the lake of fire and brimstone for the devil and his angels. That's where they ultimately will reside because Satan is already defeated. Now, he wants to take as many of us with him as he possibly can. So, he goes through his machinations and all of his deceptions so that we would follow him instead of God. Because at the bottom line, Satan is the one who wants to be like the most God, even though he is not the most high God. So I want to read something from Isaiah, the 14th chapter, which gives us a little bit of an idea about Satan and the way he thinks about things. And he's referred to here as Lucifer. And Isaiah, the 14th chapter, starting with verse 12, says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations! For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. So Satan's desire is to be a rival of God because he wants to be God. And yet, What the Bible also tells us is that that's not what he's going to be. He ultimately will go down into the pit. And his objective is to take as many of us with him as he possibly can. And he does that by sowing seeds of doubt like he did with Eve in the garden. When he said in Genesis 3, 1 and 2, well, has God really said thus and so? 
And then in verse four of Genesis three, he says, you will not surely die when you eat of this fruit. Now, what he left out was that maybe she wouldn't die that day in a physical sense, but spiritual death happened immediately and the separation occurred immediately from man and from God. So Satan tells a part of the story, but not usually the entire story. So the first way that I want to talk about that darkness masquerades as light is that darkness is made to look like it's harmless and like it's fun. And one of the best examples of this is Halloween. Halloween is a holiday that's steeped in a lot of pagan traditions and also a lot of religious traditions, some of which that claim to be Christian, though they are against what the Bible says. So we follow a biblical Christianity and not one that departs from a biblical worldview. When you think about Halloween, one of the ways that it started was with the god of Samhain, and this was with the ancient Gaelic festival of Samhain. And what was going on at the time was the 1st of November was seen as the beginning of the new year. The summer had ended and the new year was starting with this winter season. And they believed that during this time, particularly on the 31st of October, that's when there was a window between the living and the dead that became thinner than usual. And therefore, those who were alive and living could correspond with those who had already died. Now, we know from a biblical perspective that God has instructed his people not to communicate with the dead. However, one of the traditions in this ancient um, ritual for Halloween, which was called a little bit different name at the time, but it's been shortened to mean Halloween today, they would put on costumes so as to be hidden from the spirits that were around. And yet at the same time, they would sit around bonfires and they would try to read the future, understand what the future was going to be. Sometimes people stood in front of mirrors to try to get a glimpse of what was going to happen in the future. And again, God forbid his people from seeking wisdom from anyone other than himself. So when you think about these costumes that were designed to either disguise you or to ward off ghosts and things of that sort, that already is problematic. There was a belief that souls were swarming the earth and roaming the earth during this time. And we know that once you leave this life and once you die, you are not here anymore. So anybody that's roaming the earth might be Satan and his demons, again, to deceive people. But that's not people. Those are angelic beings who are fallen, and they are demons. Now, on the religious side of things, the 1st of November was also considered All Saints Day. And there was this belief that you would celebrate those saints who had gone on and they were with God. And then the 2nd of November was All Souls Day. And those were the people who had died and they were in what was referred to as a kind of purgatory. And the purpose was to pray for the dead and pray for their souls so that hopefully they could get out of purgatory. All of this is a perspective that is not in accordance with what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach any such place as purgatory. And when we leave this earth, we're either going to be with God in heaven 
or we're going to be in hell. Those are the two places that we go. And where we go is determined by what we decide while we are living. So there's no need to pray for those who are dead. They have already made their decision while they were living. And according to what they decided and how they were going to live their life, that determines their eternal destiny, whether they will be in heaven with God or separated and apart from God and go to hell as the final resting place. So all of this is really not appropriate. And then, of course, the Scottish and also the Irish added a little piece to it where they made the costumes more spooky and so on so that they could bring a little fun and terrorizing the neighborhood. And all of that came to the United States as more people immigrated to the United States from Scotland and also from Ireland. And one of the things that's really a beauty of the United States is that we really do have a multitude of cultures here, all different people from all kinds of places from which we can learn and grow and be enriched. And that's also the problem sometimes with the United States is that we are exposed to all kinds of practices, religious practices and other practices that may not be godly. So we always have to be vigilant about those in our world. And I want to just remind us of a couple of readings that where God is instructing his people about the things I've been talking about so far. So one of them is Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter, and it's verses 10 through 13, where it says, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. This was a pagan practice to actually sacrifice children to these pagan gods, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. So God is letting his people know, don't get involved in this evil of witchcraft, soothsaying, trying to tell the future by all of these means, or speaking to the dead. All of this is strictly prohibited. And then in Isaiah, the eighth chapter, in verses 19 through 20, it says, And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? So this is important. God is very clear. He does not want his people seeking among the dead, seeking among false gods or pagan rituals. If we want to know anything about the future, we are to ask God. And there is only one God. So that's one of the ways that darkness is made to look harmless and fun because the target is children. And this dressing up in costumes, which of course children love to do, and going house to house and having candy and celebrations and parties. There's nothing wrong with candy celebrations and parties. There's nothing wrong with even dressing up in costumes. You want to be careful, however, that you're not practicing this on a day when 
the witches of the world and those who worship Satan are very active. And when a lot of darkness is taking place, we don't want to be any part of darkness. And I'm really glad that many churches today have alternative celebrations for children, a kind of a harvest festival that acknowledges that God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, and does not call up any kind of occultic practices, any kind of uh, forays into the dead, or into demons and ghouls and goblins and all of that stuff. So be careful with anything that makes darkness look like it's harmless and look like it's fun. Often we are opening a portal to the satanic in our lives and we don't even realize that that is taking place. So keep those doors shut and remember that darkness is not harmless. It is not fun. There are dangers because there are powers, satanic powers in the darkness that we want to avoid. The second way that darkness masquerades as light is to pretend that this light is exactly the same as a godly perspective. There are many false and humanistic religions in our society today. They look good on the outside. They may have similar values on the surface to what are also Christian values. They may have a very positive attitude towards family and making sure that families are prioritized. They may be very moral people in the way that they operate. And in addition, the outcomes that they have, they may be very smart, they may be very successful, they may be prosperous in one way or another. And so when we look at those outcomes and when we look at how they're living, we could be snared, we could be entrapped, we could be made to think that what they're doing is also of the light, just as biblical Christianity is. So we want to understand that it's not always that way. There is one God, and he is the one who gives us instruction about how he is to be served. And he tells us in Isaiah 55, 8, 9, that his thoughts are not our thoughts, our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. And in fact, he says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways. And we know that one of the ways that Satan tries to fool the people of God is to look as much like God as he can, so we won't know that it's the enemy. And we often refer to him as a wolf in sheep's clothing. So he looks like a sheep, but really he is a wolf and he's doing something that is deceptive. This is not the first time that we have faced a situation where Satan tries to look like the people of God. And we have to be careful because what the people are saying, what their doctrine is, their way of life is against what the Bible says. And when that's the case, it doesn't matter that they're beautiful people. It doesn't matter that they are successful. It doesn't matter that their families look good and are intact. It doesn't matter that they have good morals. If it is against what God's word says, then we are to stay far away from it. So 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, gives a picture where Paul is describing something very similar that was going on in Corinth back in the early church days. 
So the scripture reads, but what I do, I will also continue to do, Paul is saying, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So again, they will face a horrific end because of their lies and deception and because they are not following God and they are deceiving the nations. So we have to be careful in a pluralistic society, just as Israel in ancient times also had to be very careful. God told them to rout out all of those people who were practicing pagan religions. And he said, don't live among them and become ensnared by what they are doing. The association actually causes us to begin to compromise. So we don't want to begin this, the slippery slope and slide into compromise. The third way that I want to describe is the temptation to serve both God and idols. And this is tough because Sometimes when we see those ones who say that they are also of the light, we may think we can take a little bit of what they're promoting and also mix it with what God is saying, and God does not accept that. He does not share worship, honor, and glory with anyone. God is unique and expects worship only of him. That's really where God is coming from. And I think one of the places where I personally have to be very careful is in the area of the medical field. When I think about traditional medicine and all of the pharmaceuticals, I tend to have very negative reactions to pharmaceuticals. And so I'm very interested in alternative medicine. And a lot of the traditional pharmaceuticals cause tremendous and horrific side effects for some people, and especially for me. And I noticed that we were becoming more and more of a drug-oriented society. And so as I pursue alternative medicine, what I have discovered is that a lot of those approaches also have some demonic forces behind them. And they can be hidden where you don't know what the source of a certain practice might be, and you have to investigate it. And as I have investigated some alternative medicine sources and practices, I have found the hidden pagan gods and rituals that really are the force behind them. And therefore, there are some alternative practices which I cannot accept, cannot use. And sometimes I have experimented with something only to find out it was problematic and I've had to route it out of my life. And my husband is one of my primary accountability partners in this area to make sure that I don't go down a slippery slope that leads in a direction that I don't want to go in. So that's how insidious this is. Satan can hide in something that we think is helpful or is going to bring a remedy that we may be looking for. So no matter, even if something works, if it is food on the devil's table, 
It is the food of death, ultimately. And we are to avoid even that. And if we think about Saul, King Saul in the Bible, when God stopped speaking to him because of his sin and because of his rebellion, and he decided to consult with the witch at Endor, this was a true abomination that he was engaging in at the time that he was consulting that witch. God was not pleased, even though God did appear to him in the form of Samuel, who he was trying to conjure up. And even the witch in Endor was shocked to see Samuel because really this was a God thing. But, you know, God punished him for this evil that he engaged in. So if we take a look at First Chronicles, the 10th chapter, and we look at verses 13 and 14, we will find something out about Saul. It says, so Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So two things. Saul consulted a medium which is another word for a witch or someone who is representing the powers of Satan and not of God. And secondly, he did not inquire of God. And God expects his people to inquire of him and not to go to Satan for anything that we would want to know. So a couple things I think are important to just mention, as I just want to summarize Satan makes darkness look like it's harmless and like it's fun. Halloween is a good example of that. Darkness masquerades as light, and we have people from all different kind of religious cults, occult and Christian-sounding-like religions, which really are a part of the kingdom of darkness and really are not light. And thirdly, there's the temptation to serve both God and idols because there are some things on the table of Satan that he's made to look like light that look like they're helpful, such as some alternative medicines, and really they have their root in a satanic practice. But God is very clear that he wants his people to come to him for anything that we would know. And there are a few things that we want to remember. Hebrews 9 reminds us that it is appointed unto man once to die and then there is the judgment. So again, everything about our life we do now in the land of the living. And what comes next is we will face the judgment of God. We will be in heaven or we will be in hell. That's what's really going on. And we know that Jesus is the one who conquered death. That was one of the whole reasons that he came to the earth because death came as a punishment to us and he came to remove the scourge of death and the punishment. So in talking about Jesus and his role as high priest, the book of Hebrews in the second chapter, with starting with verse 14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. 
Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So we see Jesus becoming flesh and blood, coming to the earth to destroy this power of death, this fear of death, and what the devil has brought into the world, and to release us from this bondage. So we don't have to wear a mask. We don't have to walk around and ward off evil spirits because Jesus has already done the work that needs to be done. And we see another picture of what Christ has done in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, starting with verse 50, and it says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. When it says we shall not all sleep, it means we won't all die, because there are some who will be living when Christ returns. He says, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we don't want to get off track. We don't want to be tempted into satanic realms because we have the words of life. We have the way of life because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And that's important to remember because most of these other systems that are darkness masquerading as light, they believe that there are multiple ways to God, and God himself does not allow multiple ways to him. We find that even if we think about those who would try to put any idols in the context of God and his presence, in one case, we find that the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Lord in a battle. And as the Ark was in their various different cities, and at one time they put it in the temple of Dagon, and Dagon was a false god. And when they came in the next morning, Dagon had toppled over, and the Ark of God was still standing in the temple. So they set Dagon back up. Mind you, this is supposedly a god, but they had to set the god up. And the next day, not only did Dagon fall over, but his face was broken off and also his palms were broken off. And so God is saying, you know what? I am the only God. I'm the only great one. No one can stand in my presence. And Dagon fell over. And if you want to read more about that, that's in 1 Samuel, the fifth chapter. 
And then we also find that when Elijah was going against the prophets of Baal, he called on them to call on their gods to bring fire onto the altar. They called on their God. They cut themselves. They did everything. No fire appeared. However, when Elijah called on the one and only true God, fire then appeared and burned up all the water and everything that was there. Now, we, as people, we're tempted to want to worship what we create. And that's because if we create it, we are really the true God behind it. We tell the idol what to do. And that's why we like it, because we get to control the narrative and what's going on. But God does not accept idols. He will not allow us to worship him and idols at the same time. And in fact, at another point in Israel's history, during the time of the Judges, Judges the 10th chapter, and in verse 14, the people had been following God and following the idols of the people around them. And God had been warning them, sending prophets. They weren't listening because they were being prosperous up to this point. And so God is getting ready to punish them greatly. And he tells them, he said, go cry unto the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. And of course, those gods couldn't deliver them, and Israel knew that as well. And so eventually they did repent, and they did put away their gods because they wanted God, the one true God, to deliver them. And in fact, at one time when God was punishing Israel, he let them know, this was in Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, and verse 28, that he was going to send them to a place in a pagan nation where they would have to serve those pagan gods and the work of men's hands, wood and stone. And that was a punishment that they would have to serve false gods. That's what he said to them. And so why would we choose this on purpose when in fact it's a punishment of God? This is the reminder. God does not want his people serving false gods and he will not allow us to serve him and false gods at the same time. In fact, there is a, I say, a pretty detailed treatise about this found in Isaiah, the 44th chapter. And this is just after God has said that there's none like him. He's unique and he's the only God. But Isaiah 44, starting with verse 9, says, Those who make an image, all of them are useless, and their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. Who would form a God or mold an image that profits him nothing? Surely all his companions would be ashamed, and the workmen, they are mere men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear. They shall be ashamed together. The blacksmith with the tongs works one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, and works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks one out with chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He marks it out with a compass and makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it re may remain in his house. He cuts down cedars for himself. He takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn 
for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yet he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. With his half, he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes into a god. He carved his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They do not know nor understand, for he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand, and no one considers in his heart. Nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I've burned half of it in the fire, yet I've also baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it, and shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes, a deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? What a powerful description of the futility of making an idol and worshiping an idol. So we want to stay away from all of these things. And for those of you who believe that it is possible to serve God and demons at the same time, I want to close with one final scripture that shows us God is not allowing it. We don't get that choice. It's a whole matter of what Joshua said way back. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Whether that would be the true God or the God of your fathers, the idols that they worshiped back in the day, or the idols and false gods of the people all around you, but you can't do both. It's one or the other. So in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, he says in verse 18, I'll start there in the 1 Corinthians 10, observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So just as God did not allow Israel to worship false gods in him at the same time, he certainly does not allow us today to do the same abominations. So when we come to the Lord's table of communion, we need to be pure, cleaned, cleansed, and not participating in anything that is idolatrous, pagan, or of the occult. So in your workplace, you may be one of only a few people who are truly following the light of God and who represent the light of God. So do not be fooled by Satan's attempts to make darkness look like light. And for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see in your workplace, let them know what the truth really is as well.
Have a blessed day and week. Thank you, and I'll see you next time. We live in a world with so many divides between groups of people. And today, I am with Dr. Clarence Schuler, the president and CEO of Building Lasting Relationships. Dr. Schuler knows that cross-cultural friendships are part of the necessary healing journey. So, Dr. Schuler, tell us more about the power of cross-cultural friendships. Well, Dr. Karen, I'd love to do that. And, you know, maybe the most important relationship or one of the most important relationships we can build are cross-cultural friendships. And the reason, because we have so much racial tension, and we found that if people from different cultures become friends, it actually lowers the racial tension in America. Uh, Dr. Gary Chapman, the author of the Five Love Languages, the New York Times bestselling author, and I have written this book, this resource called Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, how you can help heal racial divides one relationship at a time. And we believe if people would get that book and read it with a friend and talk about it or make a cross-cultural friend and read through the book together, it can change lives forever and change the racial tension in America and make it a better one. So that's really our goal with that resource. Thank you so much, Dr. Shula, for sharing that. And for those of you out there, if you would like to donate and contribute to creating cross-cultural friendships in our world, go to ClarenceShuler.com and make sure you pick up a copy of the book for yourself and start a new cross-cultural friendship today. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.